I'll begin by asking this question. Have you ever done what you thought was right, really tried to do everything that's right, and then just have it backfire on you? Anyone. I'm pretty common. So welcome to my week. Uh, we had, for the holidays, our tribe got shrunk a little bit. Um, our two youngsters that are with us right now, uh, Hunter and Harry, Harry's three months old, they went with their great-grandparents down south somewhere. So my wife, who's been caring for a baby for three months, and that baby is like an atomic clock. It wakes up on the hour every three hours to eat. So nine o'clock, he gets fed. Midnight, he gets fed. Three in the morning, he gets fed. Six in the morning, he gets fed. And she's the one doing that. She's brilliant at that. So they're, they're going, and my wife is like, ah, like, what do you want to do? She says, I just want to go somewhere where I can just enjoy the view and maybe have a good night's sleep. So I said, where do you want to go then? Let's go to the coast. So we've been watching the weather, and the weather's not looking too good. And I keep asking, do you really want to go? Do you want to go? Yeah, that, let's go, let's go. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So Wednesday, I finished my work at about 1.30. And I knew that we were going to be dry camping, so we can just drive right up to the beach and get right up there and enjoy that in our camper. So I thought, I have never changed the oil in the generator, and we're going to be running the generator a lot. I should change that oil. It's been a number of years since we've owned this thing. Okay. So I figured I could drain the oil, then go somewhere in town, fill up the oil, and we're going to have a wonderful weekend at the coast. Drain the oil, pack up, drive to AutoZone. At AutoZone, I get there, I buy some really good oil, I go to the front of the motorhome, I open it, I'm right on Williams Highway. People are going by, they're like, hey, Pastor Man, like, hey, what's up? Yeah, right, good. Happy Thanksgiving. So I'm pouring the oil in, you know, just glug, 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 two quarts, what it's supposed to take. Um, I take it off, put everything together, uh, put the cap on, I'm walking around, I have bought the big gallon of oil, and I walk around, I just see this massive wave of oil coming out from underneath. I'm like, oh no, what is that? So I can't kind of figure that out. And people are like, hey, Pastor Matt, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing to see. Go, go away. All right. Like, I just want to, I want to get out of here quickly. So, all right. So I pack. I'm like, I don't know what that is. So we start driving over and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, what, why would it do that? I knew I had put the oil plug in. It was all good. Um, I keep thinking, what, what, what is the deal? I thought maybe because I poured it in too quickly, it has some kind of overflow valve and then I just overflowed it. Okay. I'll get to Fred Meyer in Brookings and I'll put it in really slow. So, okay, get to Brookings, go to Fred Meyer, buy some cups, because I knew like where the oil was coming out was in two spots. So I'll put two cups down there in case it leaks this time, I won't make a big mess. So I take exactly one quart, I pour the one quart in so painfully slow. As the rain is coming down on my head, I'm just like, like molasses in winter, just dribbling it in for like five minutes, finally get it all in there. And then I look at the cups and I see them filling up. I'm thinking, hmm, they're 16 ounces each. Two 16, ounces, two 16 ounce cups equals one quart. I watch them. Shh, they fill exactly up. I'm like, oh man, not a single drop of oil is actually getting in to the generator. Like, okay, I throw those away. So then my kids are like, I'm hungry. I'm starving. You're not starving. Crying out loud. So I give up. We go to a Chinese restaurant. At this Chinese restaurant, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I got to fix that thing. I've got to fix that thing. I gotta, you guys eat? I go outside. I get to the front of the generator. It's raining. Still raining. Just getting wet, looking at the generator, thinking, I bet if I remove this front little panel, I can see what's going on. So go grab my tools. Um, I only have standard tools because 
it's a standard vehicle for the most part, but this generator must be, be made in Japan because it's all metric. So now I can't get this bolt, these bolts off to look at this thing as I'm like, ah. I look across the road, there's a dollar store. I thought, I wonder if the dollar store has a tool. I go to the dollar store, I go down the tool aisle, they have one tool that could do it, it's a pair of vice grips. But they're not called vice grips, they're actually called clamping pliers. And I thought, how can you make vice grips for a dollar? You can't. You can make a toy for a dollar. But I buy them anyways, and I go to the front of this motorhome, and I'm out in the parking lot, and I get it off two of the bolts, and then they break on the third bolt. They just break. I'm like, oh, mm. and I look in, right at that moment, I look into the window and see my family, and they're like eating away, smiling and laughing, like eating a fortune cookie. I'm like, you, it's miserable. <laughs> All right, so we pack up and we camp for the night. The next morning, I know the batteries are getting dead. So I'm thinking, I've got to do something about this. It's Thursday now. So there's no option of like going somewhere and buying something at this point. It's Thursday, it's Thanksgiving. So I go out there, we're parked right on the beach, uh, right at beachfront, right there at Harbor. And you know, kids are inside, I'm outside. It's raining again. I'm out in the front working on the generator. And I thought if I could just pull that tube off, I'm gonna duct tape it. It had already been duct taped by the previous owner. He's a guy that buys his tools at the dollar store. So I kind of knew, okay, maybe I can just add more duct tape and I'll fix it. So I go in and I get the fill tube off and it's got a hole in it. That's where all the oil is coming out. So I, find, I get it off and then it just snaps in two, just literally breaks in two. And I'm holding this piece just going, oh, God, why? I'm just trying to bless my wife. I'm trying to make a guy great weekend and all of this. Now that was probably one-tenth of one percent of what Joseph feels about his life, right? He keeps doing what is right, and the reward is wrong. If you don't know his story, I'll repeat it again for you. Joseph is the favorite son of his dad, Jacob. His dad shows him he's the favorite by giving him this fancy coat. His 10 older brothers can't stand him. They tear that coat off of him, throw him in a pit, and sell him into slavery. He ends up being bought by this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is a powerful man. He works his tail off as a slave. And over the course of what sounds like about 10 years, he works his way up until he is COO of Potiphar's empire. Out of the pit, now he's doing well as this slave in Potiphar's house, doing what's right. But then Mrs. Potiphar takes a liking to him and she wants him. And one day she traps him in her room and she tries to grab him and pull him into bed. And instead he slips out of his coat and she keeps the coat and she uses the coat as evidence to her husband that night that Joseph had tried to rape her. And Joseph is like, I hate coats. They're always getting me in trouble. I'm not wearing one anymore. So now he's falsely accused of rape. He's thrown into prison. He works his tail off in prison, makes his way up to second in charge in prison. So Joseph's dad, Jacob, could ride around in his chariot with a bumper sticker that said, my son was prisoner of the year at Faro Bay Penitentiary, <laughs> right? And then he helps this dude, he interprets these dreams, and instead of him getting out, they forget about him for two years. And for 14 years, Joseph keeps doing what is right, and his reward is he's forgotten. He's in a pit. And Joseph's life is the example in the Bible of how to make progress 
in a pit. And every one of us at some point will be in some kind of a pit. A pit of depression, because your team lost 69 to 10. A pit of finances, a pit of your marriage problems, parenting, whatever it is, at some point for all of us, there's coming a pit. There's coming hard times. So what do you do when you're in a pit? Well, Joseph is the example. And I'm gonna scratch the surface and that's it of his life. Read his story. If you're in a pit right now, study, meditate, pray over his story. God, give me wisdom because there's great wisdom in his life. If you're doing great right now, mark in your head, I need to remember Joseph. I need to remember his story. So I'm gonna just give you some examples, some wisdom of what he does to make progress out of his pit, all right? Number one, notice this. He focused on others. Chapter 40, Genesis, verse one. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. Most commentaries believe it was almost a year. And one night, they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came in to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Number one, when you're in a pit, focus on others. So whenever I read a story like this, one of the first things I do is I try to imagine myself in the story. So if I'm Joseph, and in the morning I come and I see these two guys, these court officials, and they're depressed because they had a nightmare, I'm gonna snap. What? You're bummed because you had a bad dream? Ha, my life is a bad dream. I was stolen, I was sold, I worked my tail off, I'm falsely accused of rape, I'm in this prison caring for you snivelers. Yeah, yeah, you guys, that's what I would do. But not Joseph. What does he do? He looks at them and he says this, what's wrong? He's been with them for a year now. He realizes something's wrong with them. So Joseph may be in prison, but he's not imprisoned by his own problems. He's not imprisoned by his own misery. He's brilliant like this. Instead, the first thing he does that's right is he notices that they were in pain. I love that. Now, why does Joseph notice these two guys that are depressed and in pain? My guess is because Joseph went through pain for himself. And when you've been through pain, 
It opens your eyes to other people that are in pain. It's supposed to. In fact, as believers, that's what we're called to do. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says this. Those that have been in pain and you found comfort in your pain, use that comfort to comfort other people when they're in that pain. You that have gone through difficulty, seen hardship, don't grow grouchy and angry because of it. Grow empathy and comfort because of it. I love that. That's exactly what Joseph does. He doesn't just walk by them. You know, it's been a year. They're depressed. If it's me, I'm just gonna ignore them. Ah, I don't wanna talk to you guys. He doesn't. He notices their pain and stops and asks them about it. We're supposed to do that. Something amazing happens when you allow difficulty to be comforted and then become a comforted, comforter. It, it's, it's incredible. Here's the best statistic I have on that, best example maybe. It's this one right here. Who here knows the poorest state in America? It's not Oregon. Got a guess in your head? You can say it out. Mississippi. Guess what is the most generous state in America? Mississippi. You know why? Because they know what it's like to be poor. And too often, if you get wealthy, like a New York or a California, what happens is, ah, those guys just need to pull themselves up. You lose the empathy. Mississippi, they know what it's like to be poor. And because of that, they're generous. That's exactly what is supposed to be the life of the believer, that we get softened by pain, not hardened by it. And Joseph here, been through a lot of hard stuff, doesn't ignore these guys in their pain, but notices it, but he does even more. He serves them in their pain. He stops, listens, and then he says this, tell me the dream. I've been given this gift by God to interpret dreams. Let me serve you. Let me use my gift. Let me help you. And here's what's amazing to me. It is the fact that Joseph stops here, asks and serves them that plants the seed for his future success. It's his interpretation of the cupbearer's dream that two years later, the cupbearer will hear the Pharaoh say, I had a nightmare, and the cupbearer will be like, dude, I know a guy. I know a guy. It's the fact that he serves that becomes a seed for his future success. It's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says this, so Joseph will go from the pit to the prison to, being, to the palace to being president, all because he serves right here. It's what Jesus would say. He would give one, one way for you and me to become great, one life hack, I call it. Google life hacks, you'll get a million hits. Jesus gives just one. He says, if you wanna be great, become the servant of all. The way to greatness, the way to success, the way Joseph succeeds is he serves these two people, and he becomes great. He didn't get in a prison of his own thinking. Imagine if instead Joseph had mumbled and complained and moped around and did not serve these guys. We wouldn't hear about Joseph today. When you're in a pit and you mumble and you complain or you Netflix binge for a month, are you like super happy about doing that? Man, I'm so glad I mumbled and complained. That was awesome. Man, I'm so glad I wasted a month just Netflix binging. No, you feel worse and worse and worse. You dig the pit deeper and deeper and deeper. The way you get out of a pit 
is exactly what Joseph does here. He got his mind off his own stuff and he serves somebody else. But I'd say it's even more than that because Jesus says something else about serving that it does for you and me. It's John 13. And in John 13, this is the night Jesus will be betrayed, beaten, falsely imprisoned, and the next day he'll be crucified. It's the day that Jesus says in Matthew 26, he despaired of life itself. It's Jesus Christ's own pit, hardest day of his life. And in John 13, Jesus is in this upper room with his disciples and it stinks in that upper room. You know why it stinks so bad? A bunch of feet that have not been washed. Normally in that culture, before you came into a room, you'd have your feet washed, but nobody bothered to do that today. So Jesus in his pit, hardest day of his life, what does he do? He disrobes, puts a towel around himself and washes his disciples' feet. And then he says this, you've seen what I've done today. Verse 17, John 13. Happy are you if you do the same thing. Now we use that for service broadly, but I think it's even more narrow than that. Jesus is literally telling us when you're in a pit of depression and hardship and there's a cross coming and betrayal, the way that you get out of that pit is by serving people. It's the way out and it will bring to you great happiness. Not just success, also happiness. I think Joseph knew this. And I love this. I love when science catches up with Jesus. So I have a study, it's by the National Institute of Health. It's by Dr. Moll, M-O-L-L, and Dr. Grafman, where they studied people as they served others. And they looked at their brain, actually, they did a scan of the brain while they were actively serving. And here's what they found. When someone serves, the part of the brain that fires is the same part of the brain that fires when you eat a really good meal. Chinese food, when your dad's out working on a generator in the rain. <laughs> that part of your brain. <laughs> or the same part of the brain, it's a pleasure center, the same part of the brain that fires when you have sex. It's that part. And it actually cascades your whole brain with these great endorphins that bring joy to you, right? I think Joseph knew this. Jesus said it. I've experienced it in my life. One of the greatest things in life is to be the hero to a child. There's nothing greater. One of the greatest things is to take a load of wood to a widow who needs it and unload it for her and stack it. One of the greatest things is to serve people. Jesus said, happy are you. If you're in a pit, the way you get out of the pit, man, focus on other people. Find somebody to serve. If you're in a pit today, find somebody to serve. And what you'll find is this. Don't throw a pity party. The way you get out of your pit is finding someone else who's in a pit and when you help them out of their pit, you get out as well. It's an age-old, brilliant plan Joseph lives and Jesus explains to us. Number one, if you're in a pit, quit focusing on yourself. Quit being imprisoned by your own thoughts and serve somebody. Focus on others. The next two are I'm going to do real quick because I always have more than I can possibly fit in on a Sunday but I'll give them to you real quick. You can look at them. N number two is this, how to progress out of a pit, how to progress out of a pit. Number two is keep your character. If you look back at chapter 39, it's verse 10. Joseph is being pursued by Mrs. Potiphar. And it looks like this. 
Verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. It's continual. It's not stopping. It's unceasing. She's there after him. And he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. He kept his character. If you're in a pit, don't dig it deeper by getting dirty. Keep your character. Keep saying no to the junk. Number three, how to make progress out of the pit. Sometimes you have to leave behind your coat. If you keep reading, verse 11 says this, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph left his coat and got out of that house. Sometimes there are people or houses or circumstances that when you're around that person or when you're in that home or when you're in those circumstances, they're pulling you back into a pit. Stay away from them. Leave it behind. Don't go there. Just like Joseph. It's simple wisdom. If every time that person calls you, they pull you into a pit, guess what you do? Don't answer it. Give me the phone. I'll answer it for you. I had a guy that was strung out on drugs a number of years ago. And he actually gave me his phone after a Sunday. He goes, you're going to have all kinds of people trying to call you and sell you drugs. I said, great, man. I'd love to talk to him. So all day Sunday, I just answered the phone. I had half the drug dealers in Grants Pass freaked out. Like, I think I talked to God. He was quoting scripture to me. A couple of them, I think they recognize my voice. I'd be like, hello, click. Pastor Matt, how was he doing with that phone, right? They're freaking out, bad trip. The Bible says this, it's Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Joseph left his coat and got out of the house. Man, this is a bad scene. I'm out of here. Sometimes it's houses, sometimes it's people. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, bad company corrupts good morals. There are people that when you are around them, man, they just keep sucking you back into junk. You leave them behind. Man, I love you, but I can't hang out with you. Proverbs 1, which is the book on how to live wise lives. The beginning of Proverbs 1 is super simple. It's a dad talking to his son, and the dad says this, son, don't run with morons, or you're going to be a moron. That is a rough Matt Heavily translation, but that's basically what it says. Don't do that. Beware. You're going to be the same thing. This is simple wisdom. Simple wisdom. But here's the final point. And this one is a big one that I think believers, if we don't get this right, we don't really understand the life we're to live in the world we live in right now. So notice something about Joseph. Back to chapter 39, verse 1. It's actually a character trait of Joseph that you see many times. I'll just give us two examples in chapter 39. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, 
And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And Yahweh was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. Keep reading that chapter. He gets accused of rape, falsely imprisoned. Then look at verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. Here's what Joseph learned. You have to work with what you've got. Not ideal situations. Being ripped from your family, put in a new culture with a new language. As a slave, not ideal conditions. But what does he do? He works his tail off. And slowly over the course of a decade, he builds his way up. Then falsely accused of rape, goes down even one step lower. He's in prison. What does he do in prison? He works with what he's got. And slowly over the course of time in prison, he works his way up. If you're young in here, let me tell you something. Life will never be perfectly ideal. You might feel like right now you have the dream job. If you stay at it long enough, it will turn into a four-letter word, work. Because ever since Eden, since the fall, what, the way God wanted things has not been the way things are. And it's broken, and humans keep breaking it. In fact, we break things all the time. And so what, what we want things to be, what actually our heart longs for them to be, what we really know they should be, it's never going to be that way. It's always going to be less than ideal. Ever since Eden, there's good and bad and ugly in the way the world works. And that's life. So Joseph has this dream given to him by God in chapter 37, right? You're going to become a powerful ruler. He's like, yeah, that's awesome. And he's stolen, sold as a slave, works his tail off, put in prison, interprets some dreams he's forgotten for 14 years. Now, that's not the normal way you get to world domination. But even in those bad conditions, Joseph keeps working his tail off. And there's something that is never recorded in these 14 years about Joseph, him complaining. Not once. That's amazing to me. Imagine Genesis was written about your story. Would there be a verse on complaining? Or a chapter on complaining? Or a volume on complaining? Or an encyclopedia of complaining? What would it look like? And Joseph had every reason to complain, but he doesn't. And because of that, he gets what I call a PhD. He becomes a professor of hard days. And because he goes through this without grumbling and complaining, he is the guy that is perfectly equipped 
to lead Egypt through seven years of famine and hard times because he works with what he's got. And Joseph had this perspective that I think is the absolute right biblical perspective. It's, yeah, I'm a slave in Potiphar's home. And I can look at this as either an obstacle or an opportunity. Yeah, I've been thrown into prison. And I can look at this as either an obstacle or an opportunity. And I can't control a lot of the stuff in there. I can't control where I'm a slave, who I'm a slave to, how it's worked. I can't control the prison I'm in, but you know what? I can control my perspective. And he got the perspective I think Caleb has. When Caleb went into the land, spied it out with Joshua and came back. And 10 of the spies had the perspective that it's an obstacle. There's big, tall people in there and we can't take them. And Caleb stood up and says, no way. They're bread for us. That's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for us. It's bread, it's gonna make us stronger. It's gonna give us gains. That's the way Joseph lived his life. Not ideal, not the way I would have chosen things, but I can't control all that. The only thing I can control is I'm gonna work with what I've been given. And it's brilliant to me. And there's a modern Joseph who I think has the exact same perspective. Who here has heard of the man John Bunyan, raise your hand. He's not quite as big anymore. He needs to be. So I'm gonna tell you about John Bunyan. John Bunyan, almost 400 years ago, loved Jesus. And all he wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. But he lived in a time when there was the Church of England that said, you can't do it that way. And he said, no way, I'm gonna preach Jesus no matter what. So they got mad at him for his preaching. And they put him in prison for 12 years. People get mad at me for my preaching. They send me a nasty email. <laughs> he goes to prison for 12 years. Man. And in prison, here's what he did. Within a month, the guards said they started hearing sounds coming from his room. And they went in there and they found that he had removed one of the wooden stool legs and he had carved it into a flute and every morning from that day forward, beautiful music would come out of John Bunyan's cell. And then he thought, what else could I do? I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Obstacle or opportunity. He said, I'm going to write a book. And he wrote a book. The book is called Pilgrim's Progress. It was just voted recently the number one best novel written in the English language, not by Christians, but actually by a committee. It's been considered, and I think rightly so, the second most influential book in Christianity right after the Bible, written by a guy who was unfairly put in prison because he said this, this can either be an obstacle that prevents me from doing something or an opportunity. And he looked at it as an opportunity. I love that. I love that. Here's one more example, maybe. So about a year and three months ago, my son and I, and a couple other dads with their sons were hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And we came to this spot, I can still see it in my mind, we're way up high, five, 50, 500 feet or so. And it was, we'd come out of these trees and it was just this kind of bluff and you could see forever. 
You could see the sisters and you could see Bachelor. You could actually see all the way down to Shasta. Like, it was just unbelievable. And I'm standing there with my son and these men that I love. And I thought, this is awesome. This is awesome. It doesn't get any better than this. When all of a sudden, because of our sweaty, stinky backpacks, we got attacked by mosquitoes. And I don't mean like a mosquito or two. Literally, I rubbed down my arm and I killed 15 of them. I mean, it was just like a swarm. And so Elijah and I, we just go running off. We're like, ah, we run like 50 yards up. And then we're walking. And Elijah said, dad, I hate mosquitoes. And I said, yeah, but I love the view. And I said, buddy, that's life. Life is you enjoy the view and swat the mosquitoes. Because ever since the fall, there's gonna be both. You're never gonna have the perfect view with no mosquitoes. So you enjoy the view and you swat the mosquitoes. And we, when we fail to have that kind of a perspective, we never get our PhD. We never get our PhD because we forget something about earth. What happened in Genesis 3 to earth? That from Genesis 3 on, here's what I think about earth. Earth is a pit stop, literally. It's a pit stop. Or maybe a better way of Describing earth is like this. Earth is like a, a rest area. Do you guys like rest areas? Yeah. I do. So when I took the high schoolers down to Carmen Serdan for a spring break, uh, we stopped at rest areas and here's why. I'd get them out and then I would say, okay, we're gonna run a hundred yard dash. And we'd run a hundred dash. Okay, we're gonna run, run another hundred yard dash. And you know why I did that? Because I wanted the high schoolers to be tired. So that when they got back into the van, they would go to sleep because I love a sleeping teenager. They're awesome, <laughs> right? So love rest areas, man. They're awesome to stop and move on. But imagine if you tried to live in a rest area. How would that go for you? You don't have to imagine, just go north of Merlin and stop in at that rest area because there are people that try to live there. And it's trash now and it stinks because a rest area, it's great to stop at, but it can't actually handle the full weight of life. To me, after Genesis 3, earth, because it broke and it fractured, can no longer handle the full weight of life. That we have this idealized expectation of earth, how life is supposed to be, how fair it's supposed to be, how all things are supposed to work, but guess what? It doesn't anymore because it broke and we keep breaking it. And if we have this ideal way of how it's supposed to be, and it's not that way, we become bitter and frustrated. And we actually don't enjoy life. And this isn't my idea, by the way. It comes from an essay by C.S. Lewis, where he gives it like this. He says, imagine two people, two groups of people, both move into the same building. Half of the group, they believe the building's a hotel. The other half of the group, they believe the building's a prison. Who will enjoy the, the building more? Right? The, the people that move in and think it's a hotel are gonna be this. They're gonna complain about the breakfast. Man, my eggs were runny. I can't believe them. Man, the service was lousy. The bed was lumpy. Man, there was a smudge on my window. The people that think it's a prison are gonna be like, dude, we had breakfast. Can you believe that? We had breakfast. How awesome is that? 
I had a bed in my room. I can't believe I had a bed. I had a window I could see. It was awesome. You see that simple perspective? The believer is supposed to realize what this earth actually is. And when you do, here's what happens. You actually enjoy it more. C.S. Lewis says, it is the believer who understands what earth actually is that is able to enjoy it more than anyone else. We are the best equipped people to enjoy earth because we know Genesis 3. We know that. It's why Jesus would say this. It's John 14. He would say, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. Hey, this world, you're going to have tribulation, John 16. But the good news is eventually there's coming a place that I'm preparing for you that all your capacity will finally be be fulfilled, but it's not until that place. Right now, you're in the let your heart not be troubled. Right now, we're in the, hey, in this world you'll have tribulation. But if you look at earth right, your perspective can be one of joy. You like Joseph say, no, no, I'm gonna work it. Well, Matt, that's just pie in the sky thinking. That doesn't actually work. I think it does. Let me give you this example. Does anyone here work with somebody that's always grumbling and complaining? If you don't, it's you, stop. (laughs) If you come in one week and that gal or that guy is like happy and joyful and you're like, why are you so happy and joyful? Well, I'm happy and joyful because next week I'm going on vacation, right? The anticipation of something better transforms the present. I'm telling you, this works. Colossians 3.2 says this, you keep putting your mind in heaven until heaven invades your heart. And it changes the way you view this world. You realize this is what it is, it's broken. But I'm okay with it being broken. I'm not gonna put so much pressure on it. I realize it's never gonna satisfy everything. It's never gonna be ideal, but that's okay because I, like Joseph, will work with what I've got. Like Joseph was given a dream and that dream powered him through the prison. You and I have been given more than a dream. We've been given the king who tells us one day, Revelation 21 and 22, you will take your place next to me the way you are designed to be for eternity. And then your heart will sing with completion. And until then, just realize what it is and you'll be the most joyful person on earth. So my hope in this message is simple. My hope is as you take the bread and as you take the cup, here's what happens to you. Jesus calls the cup this, the wine, the wine of the new covenant, the wine of the new kingdom, that you and I, for a moment, when we take the elements, my prayer is that the veil between eternity and earth grows thin, and you and I can glimpse what we were actually designed to be. And because we know what earth is, it's a pit stop. It's a rest area. We enjoy it for what it is. We don't put too much pressure on a job, or a house, or a marriage, or a spouse, or circumstances. So much pressure that it breaks them. Instead, we realize this is just what it is. I'm going to work with what I've got. I'm going to have this anticipation. 
so my heart doesn't grow depressed and weary that one day my king will return and my heart will be full. I will take my place by him the way I was designed to rule from day one. Man, that's anticipation. And Joseph gives us a little glimpse of that. And my prayer is as we partake in these elements, we eat and we drink of that perspective. So no matter what pit you're in, no matter what pit you're in, you can take John 14, one and two to heart. Let not your heart be troubled. One day, we'll join with Jesus the way we're designed to be. And so, Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the perspective that only believers can have We know this building, this earth, is not what you intended. That my sin has fractured it. Our sin has broken it. But it's still beautiful. And may we be a group of people that take the perspective of Joseph, of the disciples, of C.S. Lewis, and not expecting this world to be ideal and perfect, but enjoying the view as we fix generators and change oil and swap mosquitoes. Help us in that. Help us to carry that perspective into our jobs tomorrow. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and be able to focus and serve others. Help us to keep our character and leave junk behind. And most importantly, help us to drink the wine of the new covenant ensured to us by the shedding of your blood. So fill us. Fill us with a biblical perspective, I ask. I pray this in your name, amen.